and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Hello, and welcome to our latest show. This episode, we're focusing on Chai Ha, and particularly his 2000 film, Time and Tide. Recently released by Eureka Entertainment, and we'll also be taking a look at his two US English language efforts that led up to it, Double Team and Knock Off. And to help us out, we have two regular contributors to Eastern Kicks, Philip O'Connor. Hey guys. And making his debut on the cast, our resident JCVD expert of fate <laughs> of his own making, Fedor Tot. Hello everybody. But first, you know, it's time for that important question. What are you drinking this episode, James, if you could start off? Yeah, yeah, I can start. I mean, I'm still in Scotland, and it's Sunday afternoon, so I have a bottle of uh, Glen Marnock, which is a, a fine Highland whiskey, which I'd never heard of before, but was very kindly stocked by Aldi, so it wasn't very expensive. And I have a couple cans of William Brothers Bel- Belgian-style IPA, which is 5.7%, so not bad. I'm sure you're going to pull out something... Stronger, as you quite often do. Uh, what have well, you got? Let's see what we've got here. Um, it's another Howling Hops. It's a deeper. It's 8%. 8%. Uh, <laughs> well, it's there a, you go. It's a, it's a brew called Off Ramp. Oh, very, very interesting, man. How about you guys? Better are you on anything this week? Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit less sophisticated. Just a basic pint <laughs> can of Heineken. <laughs> I, I, I drank all my nice beers this weekend already. So, yeah. Uh, no worries, man. <laughs> Philip, how about you? Uh, this will be the first time I'm actually drinking with you guys because normally when we're doing Hooray. these things, it's like I'm go- I have a single malt whiskey. I have beer. What have you got? Tea. No, th- today I'm drinking Chuborg because <laughs> this was. <laughs> and you thought, uh, Feder, you thought you were with the, you, you were at the very bottom of the rung. No, I can get lower. I can. Um, it was the only thing in my fridge. Uh, I completely forgot that we were recording today when I was doing my shopping, and I was like, "Oh, I really must get beer because you know we're recording tomorrow." And then I was sitting there this morning going, "I really should go out." No, I'm not going out. I'll just I'll just drink the uh, Chuborg. It's fine. Chuborg's fine, man. <laughs> well, as we segue into our main feature, I mean, there's there. On a related note, there is a very bizarre uh, bit of product placement that I remember from the very kind of beginning of it. There's, there's a lot of Boddingtons in it on uh, In Time yeah, and Tide. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. very, very strange. Not not personally one of my favourite beers, I guess. Maybe there was some mad push at that time. to. It was that trip. sort of 90s thing, wasn't it? There was a big push on, on Boddingtons. It must yeah, have just well, got into that. It's true. It did, there was a few <laughs> other countries as well that it went out to and stuff. And I don't, I don't know if it ever made a massive impact for obvious reasons i mean i would still drink it if i had to but i wouldn't i would choose tuborg definitely over uh, <laughs> was that boddington's push was that the same time they were doing those weird ads where the girl was using the cream from the boddington's as hairstyle that's all i remember of that that beer it was just like wow that's a weird ad yeah, 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 because you're right it was getting quite a push in the uk at that time either because even here i guess most people weren't Massively keen on a nice pint of bodies. <laughs> so, 
let's chat about the feature in Time and mm. Tide from year 2000. Philip, have you can kind of give us a little pricey of the, the plot. Sure. Um, so Time and Tide is a 2000 set um, Hong Kong produced film, as we said, by Choi Hark. And it ostensibly tells the story of uh, Nicholas Choi's character, who um, Tyler. Um, he's a young man who is trying to make ends meet in uh, 2000 set Hong Kong. Uh, in the doing, he's doing a thankless bartender job where he uh, comes into contact with Ajo, played by uh, Kathy Tsui, um, who, in a, during a, a drunk session, uh, mm. somehow ends up in bed with her and accidentally gets her pregnant. The twist here is, and I've, I've said this in my review that it's a completely weird twist, um, <laughs> Ajo is a lesbian, and we have this immortal scene of her girlfriend, now ex-girlfriend, beating the hell out of <laughs> Tyler uh, for having broken them up. So anyway, Tyler is out on his ear. Um, he's trying to make ends meet. He's trying to support uh, a girl who doesn't want anything to do with him. So he takes a job with his uncle G, played by Anthony Wong, as a bodyguard. And in doing so, he tangles up with uh, Jack and his wife, Ah Hui, played by Candy Lo. Jack is played by Wu Bai. And Jack seems to be a butcher, but we find out later on that he's anything but an average <laughs> Joe. And the film is a in the same way that, that uh, Leon was a cleaner. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that yeah. is exactly what we should be going for here. Um, uh, the film then descends into an all out fight between Tyler and Jack and Jack's former associates from South America who mm. want money back from Jack, who he has stashed. And of course, Jack does not want to hand it back because one, it's never actually quite fully explained as to why Jack doesn't want to hand him over the money other than the fact that they're bad guys. Which mm. is a really strange place to, to go die on a hill. But anyway, that's what happens. And the film itself uh, is an action-packed adventure through the uh, the now... I, I've spotted at least three places in the film where they're, the area they're talking about has been completely demolished mm. or rebuilt. Yeah. Um, so this is 2000 set Hong Kong. So the, the sections of uh, working class Hong Kong get destroyed as the uh, two groups battle it out for supremacy over this money. <laughs> mm-hmm. and the, the whole I, mean, I remember from watching it the first time it, it feels like the, the, at least the last third almost last half it's an almost continuous action sequence yeah, yeah. after action sequence yeah, it's done in a really I great think... way I mean it's, it's, it's you know when I I really enjoyed kind of returning to this film it's it's, mm. it's one I remember um, seeing at the time it was widely available I think it was because it was released by I think Sony in the Colonial, yeah, Sony Columbia yeah yeah and, and I guess you know and we'll come back to this but coming off the back of the American productions that he'd done mm. it had a reasonable budget behind it and it had a reasonable release on DVD it wasn't one mm. of those Hong Kong legends kind of more niche yeah kind of a, a thing and um, but I, I just remember you know enjoying it but actually i haven't i haven't watched it for easily probably a decade since i've actually watched time and tide probably mm. more like about 50, probably nearly 20 years i expect but i really mm. enjoyed coming back to the film and actually just some of the the characters and the, uh the kind of work and make the action make you kind of care about them it's this kind of classic hong kong thing of, of you know they, they, these characters feel quite fully featured from uh nicholas's character who is 
I love the fact that he's not allowed to have a real gun and he has to, you know, yes. at the best he's got a pellet gun. <laughs> you know, um, his uncle won't let him, you know, to the, his uncle played by Anthony Wong. And I think you said mm. this when you reviewed it on Lisa Kicksfillip, but, you know, that, that there is a lot to the background of this character, but that great way that you don't need it. And it doesn't, mm. you know, but it, you, you feel that they're, they're quite, they have this kind of fully featured uh, histories going on behind them. You know, and you've got the, again, the classic thing of, you know, both Nicholas and Wubai being pop stars. Both of them have yeah. several sa- songs mm-hmm. on the soundtrack mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really great in the roles. I love Wubai's character and the fact that, you know, there's this great bit where he's doing these costume changes with this kind of Velcro stuff. And <laughs> it's all really, really nicely done, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, absolutely. It's a... It's, it's, I say in the review that, like, Nicholas starts off the f- film very low-key... And his, mm-hmm. his character kind of builds up, and uh, Wu Bai's character Jack starts the film as kind of average, and then gets quieter and quieter. But as he does, the body count just keeps going up and up and up. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things where less is more um, in in Jack's case, and more is less in uh, in uh, Tyler's case. And I did like that. I, I like the fact that Wu Bai kind of he spends some of the film talking. But not enough that you could say that, oh, he's explaining stuff to me. I don't need it explained to me. He just tells Tyler's character, or, uh, Tyler, just enough to get him to the next scene and no more than that. Because he knows full well that if the, uh, the young lad has too much information, he'll just blow something up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's, I mean, it's such a, a chaotic film, but it's one of those ones which actually, in that Hong Kong style, which manages to kind of pull that off because the plot is. I don't know, for me, the plot is quite hard to follow in places unless you kind of just go with the flow uh, as, as a jump. Yeah. So in a, in a sense that, that you can go with the flow, that yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. really need to take exactly. too much in. And if you really just kind of want to watch the, mm. what's the, you know, the action on screen, then it delivers. No, no, 100%. Yeah. And, and, it's, and Hong Kong was, I mean, not always good at it. I mean, to most of Wong Jing's film you know from the 90s where the, you know where just nothing made sense and you could either check in or check out but with this one here it it just i don't know there's something sad about it as well i mean both like with the as we've said like locations not being there anymore uh they just don't make this kind of film anymore and coming at the time when it did come um it, you know there were so few ones like it after that and everything mm. so when you watch it again it feels so old school uh that's the thing which really i don't know i felt very nostalgic kind of mm. watched it you know even though it's like hyper hyper stylized uh, yeah it's just so chaotic the different visual technique you know i mean and, the, and the, i mean there's, there's the originals about it but i mean i loved i actually really quite like those very kind of random bits that were chucked in like yeah. you know there's a bit where there's a, a chase scene going on and the camera swings around and actually goes to look through the other side of a washing machine <laughs> yeah you know and it's yeah. like, it's utterly it doesn't need it, but somehow yeah. it, it really gives something to the film. Mm. So it's so weird that it actually it, it really helps. Um, in a way that uh, elsewhere, some of the, 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 the kind of place names yeah. on the on the titles are animated. And it, it tries yes, to do all yeah. these kind of kind of things with it. It's it's just all these things don't seem actually they're not necessary, but they just mm. give this extra flavour. I mean. In terms of cinematography, there are three mm. cinematographers on the, yes. <laughs> on there, including Herman Yao. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I, when I was you know, researching this as well. I didn't realize he he'd done this, and he did um, Harks in the two thousand and one Zoo Warriors as well. 
So yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously I knew Herman Yao did cinematography and stuff, but I didn't know he worked on it. But uh, and having three of them involved is, you know, quite possibly a reason for the all these sort of weird stylistic shifts um, all the way through, which are then edited together very, very well. But I saw yeah, you also. It doesn't, had it doesn't like feel. A, it doesn't feel messy. It doesn't. It no, somehow, no, 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 even despite the, the the different tones, it it, it, yeah. know, it doesn't doesn't feel like they're different people. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it. It's got the same. The, the pacing and mm-hmm. style just just really gels. And I love yeah. the I love the look of the film. I mean, both you know you can see bits of Herman Yao in there. Um, I wasn't I hadn't heard of one of the guys, but then the other one was uh, like Coach uh, Lam, who did stuff like Seventh Curse, Erotic Nightmare, uh, Longest Night, which I think you can see some you know kind of definitely, in this film. Definitely, I mean that's a that's an yeah. underrated. It's quite interesting. This this kind of brings this action mm. level to a certain, you know, kind of what people. In some ways, it was it, it was bringing some of these ideas from American films, yeah. which we'll we'll go back to. But it's still quite Hong Kong, and it's it's it, mm. how it looks and feels. Yeah, and and it was kind of delivering on on what we wanted from. Hong Kong action, and then it just didn't, you know. As you say, it, it didn't mm. continue. We had things like Infernal Affairs, which was like quite different. Yeah, yeah. You know, returns to sort of the the the, the Ringo Lamb City on Fire kind of mm. style. I would argue that um, Time and Tide kind of represents a kind of a fusion between the kind of Rennie Harlan Michael Bay style of filmmaking, where it's and very also stylized. Tony Scott as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the scenes where um uh where we're driving backwards um with uh, Nicholas at the <laughs> the right. wheel, um, <laughs> or the the scenes where um it's the the firefight between the South American gang and the police in in South America, and then the final kind of the the Kowloon train station. Mm. I've got this really weird vibe. It's only I I was trying to articulate it in my head, and I couldn't really do it very well. But you're after reminding me. It feels like. The airport um, ex- uh, terminal scenes in Die Hard 2, where it's all very compact, the action is very directed, so we move towards bullet shots, we move away from explosions, and it's a very Hollywood kind of look. But then, as you said, um, Andrew, we then go to Infernal Affairs, and that's kind of mm. like, that's going back to Martin Scorsese's kind of way of filmmaking, where mm. it's the crime, it's the pressure, it's the drama, rather than action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, this was coming kind of like post Matrix as well, which I think is, you know, having, you know, having, you know, its own, you know, influences from Hong Kong and stuff like that, and then so, I think there's so many different kind of influences or reasons for the way time, time untied is, looks the way it does, feels the way it does, you know. For me, watching it uh, the first time last night, and by the way, I'm uh, not old enough to feel nostalgic about. <laughs> any of this <laughs> Ooh, <zing. laughs> burn, burn. oh my god um, <laughs> so I'm coming into it as a complete blank slate uh, mm. Phil thank you for that plot summary earlier because I now understand the plot a lot more than I did <laughs> last night and it didn't matter it didn't matter to me because mm. I was just so in love with the style it was like the kind of film I'd just go head over heels watching in cinemas because it just completely envelops you the style the, yeah. the constant invention the constant why bother with shot reverse shot when we can do this or that <laughs> like why why bother with just shooting things the ordinary way when you can do it this way or that way and that's what i really loved about it it felt almost 
avant-garde or mm. um, impressionistic at times rather than a lot of action films they do focus on some unless outside of fantastical action films and fantasy ones like Hushu uh, it felt really most action does tend to focus on realism to an extent whereas that one just goes off into the ether and it becomes more shapes and Mm. movement rather than anything real i mean it's really like he was trying to prove a bit of, a, a, a few points here i think because mm-hmm. um and also that it does feel like it has quite a generous budget the cgi doesn't doesn't feel like it's got a very generous budget but <laughs> yeah. in terms of the, the 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 setups the cinematography all even just kind of going with some of these very kind of adventurous ideas in terms of yeah, yeah, you know, just kind of flying past a washing machine, or you know, and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's got a lot more in there than a lot of other films would have had the chance to be. I mean, I think the the the, the big comparison at this point is people like Benny Chan, mm. um, who is also bringing in a lot of these American influences. You know, things like Big Bullet, mm. um, and 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 still making them in a way that has this this cross between the kind of Hollywood Hong Kong kind of thing going on. Um, but this has a it does feel very much more polished than those than even Benny Chan's films have a chance to be. You can just feel mm. that it's got that bigger budget behind that behind yeah. what's going on. Yeah. In the commentary track on Eureka's release, there's a commentary track from Choi Hark himself, and he does oh. go into a lot of detail about um, in certain scenes, like the ballroom scene where um, uh, Tyler meets Jack for the first time. He wanted to shoot that whole scene in the verite style because he want, didn't want it to be a conventional action scene. And for um, the scenes where Tyler kind of romanticizes about uh, his, his South American holiday where he will escape all of this <laughs> madness, he said he, he did it in a kind of a surrealistic style because he wanted to show that it was an aspiration or a dream rather mm-hmm. than the reality in which he found himself in. Oh, okay. So I found, mm-hmm. like, with with uh, with a lot of his comments um, um, on the track, he 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 had a plan. Like he knew what he was doing for each shot. So when you see a change from being, you know, a standard kind of tracking shot in an action scene to, uh, like you said, Andy, like the the scene where it goes right through a a, a laundromat, <laughs> that's that's a he's doing it because he can. Because he can get away with it. Um, he talks. He does talk about the scene where uh, uh, Tyler picks up Jack and his wife, and they're singing that that wonderful that song where they, they just start breaking the lyrics up between themselves. He was saying, if you notice in the shot, it's not a real car because I just passed right through the wheel, and I can't do that in a real car. And we tried doing it in a real car, and it didn't work. So we chopped up a car in half and just put it on the back of a flatbed lorry and just went, okay, do the scene. And he was able to go around with the, the camera. Again, this is a, a kind of a level of sophistication that, like you said, Andy and, and, and James mentioned, that it'll just drop off in a couple of years. It'll just mm. go right through the floor where they just won't try that anymore. Yeah. I think there's some other lovely moments in there as well. Like this is a wonderful bit where they've had this great big fight at the apartment and some guys are just ends up with them kind of basically falling down a back alleyway and there's a guy from a restaurant who just kind of makes a quip about it. Also, it, 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 you know, it, like it's almost just saying it happens every day. <laughs> yeah there is that kind of randomness and chaos to it and everything and there's even like Beautiful you know games. yeah absolutely and as, as i said like this is one of those hong kong films which managed to absolutely kind of dance through all this madness uh, in a 
in a completely incoherent but somehow still coherent you know kind of way but i mean even like the lesbian angle it's it's really odd uh like like you said Phil. Uh, and I, but it doesn't it never becomes like offensively odd though yeah, yeah. Even, it's even not chasing amy looking... affleck don't say anything bad about affleck i mean affleck's no i mean you know <laughs> no, 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 I, no, no, you're absolutely though, and it's just, and that's probably just because it is just kind of like a throwaway thing, it's like a plot device, it's not really ever massively explored apart from some, com you know, bits of non-offensive comedy, and then you've got the, the bad guy, the South American bad guys, with some of the English chat. And like, like the, I, I love how um, uh, the, the the scenes where they're talking in in Cantonese and, and, yeah. and in some scenes in Mandarin, and it kind yeah. of does work. And then we have that extended scene where the gang are pretending to be bodyguard cover for the main gang leader, That's, and they yeah. all speak perfect English, like uh, yeah. stunningly perfect English. And I'm sitting there going, "They're South American. How did they? They don't have accents at all." And you, you get all the, the bizarre, the bizarre chat about little cucarachas and you know cockroach city. You know? <laughs> Anytime you just get like, those cucarachas, and they say, it and, and one of them like starts speaking that sort of classic Hollywood like you know drug boss when they're ah those cucarachas. <laughs> but I, I, there's, a, there's a great quip about um, he's had his his throat shot out and um, you know he's, he's one of the the other guys one of his his, his henchmen goes yeah now he sounds like Rod Stewart. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and then he opened his mouth and was like, yes. <laughs> But what, what doesn't make sense to me is it's kind of implied that the South American gang are from Brazil because he picks up, the character picks up on aspiring to go to Acaraju, which is a part of Brazil, and there's a whole shot of, oh, I want to go to Brazil. Mm. And in Brazil, they yeah. speak Portuguese. So then to have the whole gang be speaking Spanish was just really confusing for me. I, it, like I was, uh, my partner, she's Brazilian, and I had the film on oh. while she was watching it. And okay. I didn't have my headphones. So I'm partially deaf, and I didn't have the headphones on for the first 20 minutes or so, the mm. film. So I could sense that they were speaking. I didn't have it on loud enough that I could tell if they were, it was Spanish or Portuguese. <laughs> and I, but I could see that they weren't speaking Cantonese or Mandarin, so I started nudging her, going, "Hey, look, they're speaking Portuguese." And it's like, "No, they're not." It's just, <laughs> no, they're not. I'm like, "Wait, hang on." No, you're right. It's Spanish. How much of that was like dubbed on afterwards then by those guys? Like the English speaking. The there's a couple of parts where it, it definitely looks, you know, dubbed. Mm. Yeah, you know, but it, which just adds to the madness of those guys. I mean, they're, they're you know hilarious, good value villains and everything. Anyway, so yeah, I like I like the way that the you know one of the lead ones you know has that classic nineties action movie thing of uh, of all bad guys. You know, there's going to be one that's got dreads. Uh, of course, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, because you, know, you know, I mean, like even the to... Predator, even the Predator had <laughs> dreads. Yeah, so <laughs> it's so kind of like late eighties, like nineties, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure.
Um, one thing I didn't didn't realize um, until I was listening to uh, Chui's uh, commentary track, the film was original length uh, after he had kind of started to, to roughly cut it down was two hours and 45 minutes long. Oh, wow. And he okay. said that there were scenes that they had to chop out to make the the, the runtime. And he said, he actually does mention in the commentary, he said, you see that scene there? That guy has a bandage on his hand. Well, we had a whole scene that explained why he has a bandage on his hand, but we just had to cut it. Yeah, so I would assume that a lot yeah. of the, the nuance between um, uh, Kathy Tue's uh, character and Nicholas Say's um, character, the whole thing between the two of them mm. and, you know, she's a lesbian but she slept with a guy and yet yeah. we're not going to reference that again as to mm. why that might be a problem. I would assume that in those extra hour of footage there has to be scenes that kind of explain that because the one ba downside I have about the film, it's the only thing I, 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 I would put against it is there's this wonderful back and forth between the two main characters, Cathy um, uh, um, uh, Choi's character and uh, Nicholas's character, and they have this wonderful thing going. It's this wonderful back and forth. He he likes the fact that he's trying to help her. She hates his guts, and they eventually come to some sort of equilibrium. But there's no resolution to that that relationship. Like yeah. we were kind of talking about it before we were recording about the ending of that movie, and that ending of that movie is literally how I thought it was going to be because I was like, "We've got forty seconds to go, no resolution, ah, no resolution. That's grand. Okay, we can move on now." <laughs> but I, one thing I did pick up on the film is the two women, uh, mm -hmm. Candy Lowe and Kathy Chways. Their kind of lot in the film is is uh, past remarkable because. Um, not spoiling the film for anyone, but um, uh, Candy's pregnancy comes to a point in the film, near the end of the film, while bullets are flying all over the place. And yet, Sway makes this interesting uh, thing of, he focuses on Kathy's character and her pregnancy for about three quarters of the film, mm. and then drops her and just goes, okay, she's going away now. And then he picks, he picks up Candy's character and goes, and now she's the important pregnant girl here. And he makes yeah. her a central point in the film. I, I found that quite interesting. It's like, while this is all going on, these two women are pregnant, so while you're all killing each other, this is still a problem. And <laughs> I did like that about the film. It kind of went, like, like uh, James was saying, there's so much in here. It's yeah. crammed together, and yet somehow he has the time to go, oh yeah, he, he, she was pregnant, I have to go back to that now. Um, it does say a lot about him as, as a filmmaker another filmmaker an American filmmaker would just have dropped it and just went that's yeah. a plot convenience and now I'm going to drop it but he comes back to it and goes actually I found a way to make her mm -hmm. uh, delivery date a central point of the film yeah, yeah, yeah for sure but I mean, and, it, and it definitely does I mean, the great thing about, I mean, even though there could be more screen time for the for the, for the women involved, you know, one thing that, and it, it, you know, it's a very classically kind of a Hong Kong thing, I feel, but, you know, these aren't by any means defenseless women, and, you know, without yeah. spoilers, you know, you find that, that out, you know, towards the end, even, uh, even you know, after, after the literally having a birthing scene, they're still in there not being defensive which is always mm -hmm. I think one of the kind of positive things of, of, of Hong Kong films 
For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of it's down to the editing as well, because you know it was, was Marco Mack who edited it, who, mm. you know, he, he'd worked with, uh, with Hark on so much stuff as well. But and he, he, he gets sometimes some stick just because as a director, some of the stuff he did, um, I don't think was bad. But you know, it's on the lower end. It's good, like the Peeping or um, like Haunted Office, Slim Till Dead. Uh, you know, that kind of like slightly lower grade stuff but as an editor like he won lots of different awards he you know he had he was editing back in from like the early 70s and stuff so having him on board and having worked with hark on loads of stuff before you know once upon a time in china you know lots of stuff so i think that is probably another kind of difference maybe you know to the sort of hollywood approach that if you have the director and the editor know each other trust each other it probably mm -hmm. comes to marco because marco max his own stuff as a director is very hyperactive and it's a bit crazy as well so dumping like a three-hour thing probably on him and saying right we got to make this two hours he's probably yeah that's fine just cut a few bits here throw it together <laughs> you know but it's it, the editing must have been a very interesting process mm. you, you know for that one so i i think that's i think marco mike probably deserves some kind of you know recognition kudos for that, he, yeah, he, he must have had a lot of input into the process with hark as well i reckon would you watch the uh two hour 45 minute director's cut do you think i would yeah i, yeah. Sure. I think this would be one occasion i mean you know on this program we, we, we talk quite a lot about uh, uh korean we, movies and we the do classic two hour like 15 yeah. 20 minute uh, yeah, yeah, we, we whereas i think on this that. case um you know it would be interesting to see what was left out because it i don't think because from the point of view with some you know when you get some of these the, like like the special editions or you know you yeah. know, like in the old days when you used to have the the, the cut scenes on DVDs before they stopped <laughs> bothering with that um, you'd think yeah right well that was pretty pointless yeah I don't yeah. think because you know again it's a kind of classic Hong Kong film I don't think Choi Hart would have filmed anything that wasn't necessary to a certain level or that he it wanted yeah you yeah, know I don't think he didn't want in there so. So it would, there wouldn't have been any crazy for So it actually would be a, form, mm -hmm. a, a really interesting to see those I think bits. So. I imagine it'd be very you know, different. It may film. even more so perhaps he kind of reinstalled in the oh, in a sort of work print of the. So I love that. I do film. love that sort of not even controlled chaos. But yeah, you know, it's just the way it dances through the madness of the whole thing, everything. And if you started putting some explanations in. Maybe you'd slow stuff down, or you'd start to think about some of the stuff which doesn't make sense, which yeah. you don't. Yeah. It's it's such a breathless film at the moment. It's one of those, it's it's kind of like a Solomon's Choice kind of thing. Mm. If you added stuff in, it would explain stuff better. But the yeah. film works so well at yeah. its current runtime, you're caught between, I want to know more, but I don't want it spoiled. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. So that, that's why it would be so interesting to see it, because, you know, I mean, no one's going to really care enough. And it's probably owned by some people who've lost the footage or something anyway. <laughs> or Hark has thrown it away. So I, I, it's not something we're ever in any danger yeah. of. Yeah. Any danger of seeing, but I, w I would, yeah, like Andy said, it's one of those rare occasions where I, I would actually be interested to see whether it's a director's cut, whoever's cut it is, you know. Mm. One thing that I, I, I noted um, when I was rewatching this this morning, I was listening to it with the commentary track switched on. He kind of he has this wonderful bit at the very start of the film where, you know, without spoiling it, um, Tyler and Ajo uh, um, wake up together beside each other after mm. spending the night together. He tells everyone in the commentary track that he had a whole scene planned out in that sequence where they were book naked. But he, 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 but, but he said, I discovered two things on the day. One, Kathy Chue was 17. Ooh, I couldn't do that. Two, 
her mother chose that day to visit the set. <laughs> and he's like, not doing that. <laughs> probably probably for the best. I mean, but it, yeah. it's such a funny, playful scene, that one at the start, that when they wake up and stuff, she goes and gets her, she gives him a good pistol weapon and stuff. Yeah, and he spent. He's like, at this point, like, yes, I love the line. He, he, she's got a gun in his face, and he said, yeah. "All I know is I have my underpants on at the moment, and that's all I know right now." <laughs> I, but again, I, 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 there's something about it which just doesn't come across as like offensive, like twenty years later and stuff like that, because you know he's just like, "I was hammered. I can't remember a thing. I don't even really know who you are. What are you doing here? Everything. Like, why are you blame? Why are you blaming me? You, did you drug me?" You know, it's quite. It takes a situation which certainly I think now, like twenty years later, would be. I, I can't see many people going there, yeah. filmmakers no. going there for that kind of thing. But in this, as well as like you know the lesbian angle and everything, I can't imagine anyone going there. But I mean, coming from our perspective, obviously, you know, um, there might be other people who would have different readings of the film, which is totally mm. fair enough. Um, but it just it doesn't seem sleazy, offensive. It, it's just wacky in that kind of yeah. Hong Kong style, you know. It, it kind of feels like... Um, but not in Wong Jing like, style. It, no, no, because like mm. Wong would totally go for the sleazy angle yeah, of the yeah, whole yeah, thing. exactly. Whereas Chui kind of goes, okay, it happened. And plot, de- plot device, there we go, move on. Yeah. And let's just move on now. Yeah, but that's it's just... And I think that's just how Hong Kong, how Hong Kong-y the whole film is. I mean, it's like that whole classic, you've got assassins, bodyguards, mercenaries, cops who don't really act like cops, you know, all these like overly elaborate, but somehow still senseless schemes. It's so, that's that's what I, I love the most about watching it. And especially the sort of vague sadness of it being, you know, 2000 uh, and that kind of thing. I mean, it's, you know, we'll, we'll move on to talking about, you know, him in America and stuff, but the fact of it coming of him, as he came back from America, the fact that it's, you know, post, you know, him making this kind of post handover yeah, everything in yeah. there as well. There's something about it, which kind of felt like a last, uh, a last hurrah for that kind of Hong Kong cinema kind of, and there's, mm. you know, cause there's been stuff after, but not much, very little. Yeah. It kind of, it almost feels like this is a palate cleanser for him. After yeah, he got yeah, back yeah. from the United States. For sure. And, mm. you know, I, I guess we can, we can move on to talk about his stuff um, um, but, in the States. But, but bef- before we do leave it, um, mm. uh, can we please talk about Anthony Wong? Because he was just so <laughs> good in this movie. It's like very, it's a, yeah. it's a very small part, and mm. he doesn't have a lot of material, but he uses it to such great effect. Absolutely, hundred percent. And yeah. it's not, it's not like one of his, you know, crazier performances or anything. Yeah. Like that. But it's you're absolutely man. It's really what well, he does so much with that character, which you know certainly in the version we see and everything like that. that, that there's. Not not many appearances. There's a lot of nuance, and there's a lot mm. of you know. A lot of we were saying before, you know, that, that that there is a history to this character. You can yeah. tell he's quite protective of the uh, mm-hmm. of Tyler. You can tell he's, you know, he there's a, there's just so much to it, and 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 actually, Anthony Wong is as good in the the, the roles where he's absolutely paired back as he is in the totally manic roles. Absolutely. And that's the thing that people, you know, sometimes people forget. You know, it's not. Because he's so great in those, you know. It's and as well, like even in like two thousand, that's still the period where he was making about twenty five films a year. You know, so he, he, no, he, that's not even an exaggeration. Uh, that I, I'm not, you know, I don't have it. Uh, surprisingly, I don't have IMDb open for him, but I, <laughs> I, would, I would guess he did over twenty in two thousand. Because he he was in other stuff with with Nicholas Say around about then as well. So mm. I, I, 
Gen X cops must have been round about then as well. Yeah. Or Gen, yeah. Or Gen Y cops. Uh, yeah. Whichever. I get those. I get that mixed up. To be honest with you. But you know, I keep thinking that I've seen Gen Y cops, and I and I, I keep thinking that uh, I've seen it, and I'm like, no, I've seen Gen X cops. But it doesn't really matter, does it? I, they, well, one's got Paul Rudd. Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I get very confused by it. But it's, Anthony, it's he, Paul was, Rudd. He, he was switching with... That's right, fucking Paul Rudd. Jesus. <laughs> I forgot about that. My God. <laughs> I can even actually picture it now that you say it, but... Oh, wow. But but Anthony Wong, at the same time as this, he was making stuff like, you know, like, Rape by an Angel 4, The Rapers Union, <laughs> where he was playing, like, the Hannibal Lecter of rapists, advising all those young rapists how to do stuff so he was he would imagine just like doing 20 films a year switching between something one day you're doing this like as we said like really new, surprisingly nuanced performance and the next day you're <laughs> the next day you're doing something like that you know it's, it's he's he is a fantastic he's a fantastic actor he's one of the most uh flexible uh, and yeah. actors with such a range like you said i mean i think untold story he's he's genuinely legitimately amazing in it but Stuff so like Time and Tide as well. He's got so much of a, you know, different mm. kind of roles he can take on, and you give know, them and that kind of undercurrent. He's, he's there in, in Infernal Affairs as well. Yes, yeah. Quite new, yeah. really nuanced kind of layer. Yeah, of that's true. He, he's hardly in it. Yeah, but he he's hardly in it. But he has such a but central he's one part. Of the most important. Absolutely. Yeah. Of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so should we move on to talking about you know where Joe <laughs> yes. yeah. was coming from when he he made these films that he he. Yeah, literally just coming off the second of two films mm. he'd done in the US. Yeah, with our with our with Feder's favourite, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, one of one of many Hong Kong directors to work with. Yes, yeah. Well, this is the thing, really. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme, like I've done a complete one eighty on him because I realised that he tees up so many like major Hong Kong directors for their American excursions. He tees up uh, John Woo with Mm -hmm. Hard Target in 93. He tees up with uh, Ringo Lam, uh, Mm -hmm. Maximum Risk in 96, and then Replicant in 2001, who's Mm -hmm. meant to do Wake of Death with him in Mm -hmm. 2004, which is a terrible film. (laughs) But I imagine, I can imagine a version of it with Ringo Lam that would have been really, really good. And he does two films with Troy Hawk, uh, Double Team in 97 mm. with Dennis Rodman and yeah. Mickey Rourke. That's a combination, one. Yeah. <laughs> and Knock Off in 98 with Rob Schneider and Paul Spino oh. from The Goodfellas. Obviously, absolutely logical casts. And so, so uh-huh. you know, Jean Claude gets a lot of stick, but he does this. He brings over these brilliant Hong Kong directors to do their American things, and okay, yeah, we can be snobby a little bit about snobby about these films. They're not as highly regarded their American films as they are their Hong Kong films, but they're still compared to other American action films. I would say that the stuff put out by Wu Lam and Choi is pretty excellent, and. You know, people forget that of the major Western action stars of the 80s and 90s, Jean-Claude is one of the few that actually knew how to fight, that knew how to do martial arts. Stallone couldn't. Uh, Schwarzenegger couldn't. They knew how to deliver one-liners and look tough, but that's it. Mm. Chuck Norris, obviously, he could fight. 
Uh, Steven Seagal pretends to fight, but doesn't. <laughs> no, not always very well. He, he's more interested in his uh, blues band or whatever it is. Isn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, he, he, he's really interested in hanging out in Eastern Europe for no yeah. apparent reason. Yeah. And there's nothing whatsoever suspicious about that whatsoever. Yeah, he, I think nope. he's now an honorary. <laughs> he's an honorary citizen of Serbia, which is you know, I'm an actual citizen of Serbia. Uh, I have no idea what he's done to Do you feel proud? <laughs> are, you gonna, are you gonna have statues to him like we have statues of Mel like we have statues of Mel Gibson in Scotland? You can have you can have Steven Seagal statues. I mean I can only imagine what it's like to go breathlessly to your friends. Guys, the guy from under siege is gonna be one of us. <laughs> he, finally, he loves us so much that he's here, he's made us his home and his tax haven. Because nobody else wants him. Those films that he does with the Hong Kong directors, they do actually bring something different out of them. Ringo Lam finds kind of, I, I almost feel embarrassed to say this, but a weird sad, sadness and childlikeness to him. Like In Replicant, he basically plays a clone who's a blank slate, and he really leans into that, and he uses his physicality quite a lot, and that's a gr brilliant performance. Let him in, Bravo. He's the nation's top counter-terrorist. Gentlemen, one, you're good to go. But on his final mission... Negative. It's not him. He missed the target. Now, there's only one man who can put him back in the game. Whoa, I bet that hurt. That hurt. I need merchandise. The best. Sorry, I'm closed for tonight. You're open now. A world-class arms dealer. Did you open that? Yeah. With a flair for destruction. I don't know, man. I look at you, I see nothing but trouble. What the hell? I kind of like trouble. Their styles are different. Very different. Offense gets the glory. But defense wins the game. But against an international conspiracy. I need a partner. I'm the man, baby. They'll be at each other's side. Yes! And in each other's face. It's me. Two films he did with Troy. So, Double Team is a bit of a mess. And that's why I like it. But you can sense that Troy is still struggling with how to deal with American filmmaking. And there's a lot of strictures on it. So, the film was meant to be originally a script called The Colony. Which was, I think, about a group of super assassins who post-Cold War have nowhere to go, so they end up in a colony. And from there, they kind of develop this kind of secret agent world, not too dissimilar from something like John Wick. Okay. And then it got turned into Double Team with Dennis Rodman turning up <laughs> and doing basketball puns all the way through. <laughs> and it's a really confusing, bizarre all over the place film that's a lot of fun to watch but doesn't make any real sense and you can sense that stylistically it looks great but it's not quite as free-flowing and wild as was, you might expect it, it, it yet was, it was shot by what's it uh, peter power wasn't it the guy who did like crouching tiger and everything ah so I, I have no idea why or what the link. You know, I fully admit I, I don't remember these films that much. But when I was researching it, that, that's one of the main things which surprised me. Uh, the note about that that he mm. would not have seen. You know, would not have expected that. Mm. 
I, I rewatched Double Team uh, a couple of years ago and was mm. on the Sony Movies channel and I tuned in on the main channel um, to the scene where they're crouching behind a was it a Pepsi uh, uh, vending machine or a Coca-Cola vending machine? Coca-Cola, vending machine. <laughs> Coca-Cola. yeah. <laughs> Better get it I right. Ca- <laughs> okay. And I just tuned into that and it was like, I really hope the plus one channel has this at the start, and it did. And I have to say, um, Feather, you kind of kind of made a reference to something earlier about like uh, Ringo Lamb's efforts. I have a lot more fun with Double Team than I do with Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Tucker. Um, yes, you know Rush Hour is is more sophisticated. But double team is. Sorry. I think you're the first person in the history of the world to utter sophisticated and rush hour. I need to. I need to state a caveat here. Yeah. It's sophisticated <laughs> in terms of the the complexity of the of the film's production value Bro, and its okay. execution. Okay. Is we'll better. It's better than double teams. But. <laughs> Double Team is having way more fun, which is the point of the movie. I mean, it's supposed to be about these two characters who are completely incompatible with each other being mashed together in a, in a, a crisis situation. And for my money, Double Team works better from that perspective than Rush Hour ever did. Mm. Um, to the point where I kind of look at Rush Hour now and kind of go, ha, ha, ha. And I've laughed with the three jokes that are, I'm supposed to laugh at. I go back to Double Team and I was like, this is great crack. This is brilliant. I'm going to stay here. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a bit where Dennis Rodman parachutes in a bas- an inflatable basketball or something like that. And then afterwards he goes, now that's what I call hang time. Oh, my God. I, lucky I don't remember that. I, yeah, I, but, I don't know. I'm not going to comment too much on that. Hong Kong and the world are poised for one of the most historic moments of the closing century. The return of Hong Kong to Chinese rule after a century and a half as a British colony. On the streets of Hong Kong, a war is raging between the criminals who rule the city and the terrorists who threaten the world. One man is caught in the middle. And he'll need all the help he can get. She's a cop? You didn't tell me she was a cop. Let's go! So you're a spy, huh? We work for the government! We're CIA! That's not a battery. That's a state-of-the-art explosive device. They can target anywhere they want. And they're going to put these bombs into clock radios, stereos, even children's toys. And once this stuff gets shipped, there's a lot of innocent people going to be in a lot of grave danger. Knockoff, <laughs> going to Knockoff, which is the film yeah. Troy made again with Jean-Claude in 98. Mm. I think that is a secret masterpiece. <laughs> and I, I'm going to defend myself on. Right, you can, watching Time and Tide now, like you can see the links between Knockoff and Time and Tide. Both of them have this view, really kind of. Uh, excuse my pronunciation, vertiginous view of the okay. city. Okay. It's this really kind of three D, go everywhere, be everywhere view of Hong Kong. And it's like he's just exploding stylistically, trying to shoot everywhere, everything. 
And one of the things that you see a lot in Time of Tide, editing-wise, in the action scenes is he, he puts these sort of breaks in mm. an action. So, say there's a bullet being fired, and he does that digital effect thing where we zoom into the barrel of the gun, we see the bullet being fired, mm. and it kind of makes the action very staccato. It, it's sort of like this sudden, almost abstract break in the middle of the action. And he does something very similar in knockoff where he finds ways to sort of zoom in on a sniper barrel or Mm -hmm. where there's a bit where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is doing a rickshaw race in a knockoff in knockoff trainers and (laughs) the trainers are falling apart. And as they fall apart, uh, Choi keeps zooming in on them and using digital effects to show how they're like snapping and falling (laughs) apart. And it's just a really, strange and interesting and brilliant way of showing something happen mm-hmm. and knockoff as well the film is basically set around the handover of Hong Kong in 97 and those of you that don't know the plot I'll do my best to recount it because I don't understand <laughs> it either Jean-Claude and Rob Schneider are two knockoff merchants selling fake designer jeans in Hong Kong and they get embroiled in some kind of plan to build nanobombs that can fit in, like, as the button of a gene that are then going to be exported to America and used to hold the U.S. to ransom. I think that's what happens. I think that's the plot. But it doesn't it doesn't probably matter too much. No, yeah. I expect <laughs> probably. Oh, yeah, I think you put I think you put more effort into explaining the plot than the filmmakers ever did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but okay, so the script is written by Stephen E. De Souza, oh. who also did oh the do- yeah, the documentarian who filmed uh, Street Fighter. I mean, yeah. Street Fighter is a documentary. We all know it's about you know the fall of Shadowloo. Yes. What's wrong with you all? <laughs> but. The script is just basically a clothesline for these random events. Uh, but Troy mm. finds ways to comment on and sort of bring in these ideas about Hong Kong's handover, about colonization, about identity mix-ups and so on, because every single character in that film is a knockoff. It, it's it's kind of... the it, it, It's a bit literal, but every single character is pretending to be someone else. Mm. And... The film then brings in, you know, the handover of Hong Kong using basically a bunch of Western actors who are pretending to be, you know, Americans, Russian CIA, (laughs) sort of fighting for influence of Hong Kong, for influence of Hong Kong's knockoff fake merchandise. And you realize on one level, it's. It's a really dumb action film, which makes no sense. And on the other level, Choi is there in the background going, actually, this is all about fake identities and who we are and what identity, what being a Hong Konger means at all. Are you just someone else's, are you just someone else's colony or do you have your own identity that we can put forward, Mm -hmm. that we can prioritize, that we can promote and bring to the world? Wow. So... That's my, that's my <laughs> thinking on the film. Sort of a bit all over the place, but that's how I see it, basically. No, it's it's a, yeah. I mean, I, I again, I, I haven't watched it for a while, but the thing I remember about it more was that it it, it did feel a bit more like it was his film rather than. I mean, 
say you know compared to the other one because uh, he had a lot of his own people working on it as well yeah. obviously with some of the stuff because it was edited by marco mack again you know who edited who did uh, yeah. time and tide but and it was shot by uh, arthur wong who he'd worked with a bunch of times everything so it, it does it is probably going to be a lot closer to his own kind of you know yeah. what he you know maybe what he wanted to do and it's not i don't think it's technically a co-production right but it does feel more like you know he would have had more input into it compared to yeah. you know but the weirdest thing about it, which I, I didn't know when I was looking into, was that Leslie Chung's in it. Wow. Very, very, very briefly, apparently. If IMDb and other places are correct, he has, <laughs> he has a, like a he has a he has a bizarre like camera. I mean, there's a lot of like Michael Wong's in it and everything, which I I remembered. But when I when I was looking into it again, yeah, Leslie Chung's certainly credited as being in it for in a very very small background type role. I've no way. I don't know. It just. It's not something we can go into here properly, but it's just interesting to know how much of it was seen as a, you know, sort of more Hong Kong production and stuff. Because even like the, you know, even beyond some of the regular guys he worked with on it, who he he worked with Hong Kong, you know, the producers, you know, he had, like, Nan Sung was producing it as well. And mm. it's it's a really, really interesting, like, crew list for it, which may, that's why I'm surprised it doesn't seem so much like it was like a proper, like, co-production. Yeah. Know? So it, would, it is a film, which, you know, I, I, again, I haven't seen it for years, but... Genuinely, seems like there might be an interesting production story to it. Yeah, from what I understand, it was certainly a bit of an all over the place production. I, I know some of the stunts mm. went badly wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it might make an interesting comparison with uh, the Master, which he did about oh. ten. Because that's a film. It's a Hong Kong production. It's Golden Harvest, but it's mostly mm. shot in in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you want to call the master an American film. It isn't really, but mm. it is Troy and the crew going to America and working with American crews, and which yeah. was which was quite common around that, particularly around the sort of late eighties, early nineties. There were quite a few like Jackie Chan, mm. Rumble and yeah. Funks, and and that yes. sort of that, that sort of era. There was there was. I think an attempt to try and take Hong Kong filmmakers to America, you'd probably end up with a, an English dub version of those films that hmm. were probably quite terrible. Um, <laughs> but it kind of, it, like the benchmark for that kind of thing was like the 70s with Bruce Lee. I mean, he got to film in the Coliseum for yeah. uh, Return of the Dragon. And that's the benchmark for a kind of a Hong Kong international production. Like you can't get any bigger than that. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, I'm just going uh, to step in and, and go... And to be very uh, the, the 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 actor that plays Garth Marenghi, and do a very office thing with the <laughs> way of the dragon. Yeah, sorry, oh, way of the dragon. Yes, of course. Well, Chuck, Chuck Norris was he? I didn't know that. No, I've never heard of that. Was well, that a new one? <laughs> great scene, man. Great scene. Was great reference. Return of the Dragon. Is that like the? Am I misremembering that? Is that not like the American title for the movie? Because I can't could be, remember. Could I, be. I, I, yeah. That would be funny if Garth Marenghi was uh, you know, messing things up because he got the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Oh my god! <laughs> but it's. I, but anyway. I think one of the. I think one of the interesting things of, about these films as well. I mean, both because you know I'm not like a massive fan of either of these two films by. Or I just in terms of the casting, you, you know whether like you know we have Dennis Rodman, then we have like Rob Schneider. It's just. If there'd be more control over the casting and stuff like that. I mean, like putting Van Damme aside, I'm not a massive fan, but you're right. He he was like genuinely a, you know, a talented fighter and stuff like, you know, no retreat, no surrender and stuff. But, um, you know, for these films, if they'd had better casting, because this is kind of like, like Dennis I'm, I'm sorry, like can, can you improve on Dennis Rodman? 
<laughs> I, I'm not even put it this way. I'm not even going to try because yeah. I, I'm not yeah. sure. Where I, th- I, would I think start. he's better than Michael Jordan in Space Jam. If that's a benchmark, Ooh. I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's a benchmark. That's controversial. Of it's a benchmark. Space. I quite like Space Jam. Um, not because of Michael Jordan necessarily, but I'm not against him. <laughs> but I, I, you know what I mean, though? like because you know he was given these action films to do and stuff like that. And Van Damme yeah. is, you know, legitimate action star, legitimate, you know, martial artist and stuff. But then getting thrown in with these like ran, random sort of yeah. stunt casting co-stars, like Rob. I mean, Rob Schneider is just apart from like Juice Bigelow, which is the bomb. He's quite annoying in most stuff. Yeah, know? and, and he's... Dennis Rodman. If he didn't have these, could he have produced more sort of legitimately, you know, great action films in America? I mean. I would argue that in Double Team, Rodman kind of recognizes that this is his big action moment. <laughs> and, like, he does give it, like, uh, for all of our stick about him um, yeah. in the film, he does give it his all. I mean, he genuinely is bringing, you know, I know he's a basketball star, but he's bringing his A game as best as he can. <laughs> well, he, he does, uh, there's a few scenes where he does get to fight. Um, it's quite okay. a, it's very wrestling heavy. Which works with him because he did actually do some wrestling as well. He decided a few okay. times during his basketball career, go, I'm yeah. bored with this. I'm going to go to Las Vegas and do some wrestling. And he did. Fair, and fair you enough. can see some of that technique appearing in in Double Team. He's massive, obviously. Like, he's twice the size mm. of everyone around yes. him. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. really easy for him to just pick up other actors and throw them around. So that's quite fun mm. to see. He doesn't get to do it much, but... I don't know, but if he'd had a proper... If they had something like, I don't know, something like Wesley Snipes, who was a great sort of action star around that time as well, you know, that's... Mm. If you'd had, like, proper, uh, I don't know, non-stunt casting in these films, then, Mm. I don't know, you might have ended up with actually proper films. Because it's not... I'm not a Van Damme fan, but it's not his fault. I think these films don't have the reputation. I think it's because of the co-stars in the films, Mm. which is unfair for Hart. I mean, I'm not... You know, I, I haven't read any interviews with Hark about this kind of stuff. Obviously he made a decision to go back to you know to Hong Kong and stuff and to make films there again. Would uh, I don't know. It would just be interesting to know more about that kind of casting process. Not that we can get into it here and stuff. Because yeah. I think that I think for a lot of people that's what delegitimizes these films. Is seeing that Dan um, Rodman's in it, seeing that Rob Schneider's, you know, playing off him and everything. I would I would argue that kind of tray of all of the, the Hong Kong filmmakers who went to Hollywood in the nineties he yeah. was the 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 one who kind of knew the road had run out beneath him, and he yeah. bailed after two films. Whereas John mm. Woo, he started off so strong, mm. yeah. and by the end, yeah. he, I I can't, I can't even remember the damn title of the movie. It's the one with Ben Affleck. Payback. Payback. Yeah. I'm not looking See, at what someone has to remember it. It is that forgettable that no yeah. one can f- remember the damn title. Whereas like. Chway kind of got, he got two movies and it was the law of diminishing returns and he bailed and he was done. Mm. Yeah. Um, Wu just kept on going and didn't mm. uh, stop when he should have. I mean, yeah. I remember being in the cinema, like we were talking about this being uh, made in 2000. I was sitting in the cinema watching Mission Impossible 2 and everyone oh, in the yeah. audience burst out laughing when Tom Cruise pivots on one wheel on a bike and fires <laughs> well, a gun. So, I, I'm sorry, but Mission Impossible 2 is, along with the first one, the best of the series. Well, that is yeah. damning, that's damning with faint praise. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, got a message for you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> a message from Xenu. 
<laughs> even when they they pull poor Simon Pegg into that, you know, mess, and then even then, it's just like no. I oh, I, I'm sure that that Simon's getting some bank oh, to forget no, him. Oh, no, absolutely, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I, I just, when I say pulled in, I mean uh, an attempt to add quality to it, which for me. Uh, they, just, they, they, they just blur into one They're, you know it might be may, might as well be like the fast and those furious you know and everything they just all <laughs> the on, a, on, a, on a completely unrelated tangential note myself and my father watched the last four Mission Impossible films and at some point he turned to me and said which one are we watching again? Because they're point. all. Fair, I think that's fair. <laughs> a very fair point. <laughs> yeah, and like, like you say with, with, with Hark and stuff I mean he got out where he's like John Woo He's. Not, I don't think his career's ever massively recovered from all that. You know, either. Even I think that Red no. Cliff, I mean, it's, Red I, Cliff is I mean, great. It, it, but... it, it, we kind of talk about that. It's very kind of briefly, mm. and, because, and that's another big kind of discussion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry. In, in terms of uh, of Troy, you know, basically going. You know what? I don't. Mm. I'm not massively bothered about America anymore. Mm. Um, I think there was Black Mask Two is one of the things that's kind of. Oriented yeah. towards an American market, but you know mm-hmm. he's 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 reading he's reading what's going on and going mm-hmm. you know forget this I'm going to go for mainland China, yeah. and that's that's really where yeah. his career goes from from the yeah from I mean the early the, 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 the ultimate exponential of that is the Detective D series. That is a, mm-hmm. a series of films that is entirely cultivated and designed to appeal to a mainland Chinese audience. Yeah, uh, isn't yeah. Choi didn't Choi actually study? In America as well. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about Ringo or John Wu, but that I don't know if they had any connection to America before going to America. But it sort of would theoretically at least position Troy to be in a better position. Mm. And he decided against yeah. that. You would have thought that if he wanted to, uh, Troy could have just stuck with it and, and made it work. And, and maybe... Mm. Maybe he felt that it would have, for various reasons. I think this is the kind of conversation, you know, what happened? Maybe yeah. it was that, that for various reasons it didn't work out and he just didn't like what he was doing. But it's, it's such an interesting timing as well. With just, I don't know, I, I mentioned The Matrix before. You know, mm. you would think that after The Matrix, with you, know, you, have, you have Mo Ping and stuff like that involved in it. And after that, there was, um, you know, that's kind of, I guess, as well, because I, I was not young, but relatively young then. And there was like a big upsurge in interest in that kind of stuff. Because, you know, The Matrix was quite recognised as having like a Hong Kong style. Uh, yeah, it kind you, of... You know, it kind in, of that, in that way. So, but Hark, I mean, these two films Hark did were just before that. So if he'd if he'd been like a couple of years later, I, I don't know, Very it would be very interesting to have that but chat also, with Wolverine. But it was part of the... At, at that point, I think there was also... I feel like it kind of burnt out very quickly. Mm, the, the, yeah. the, the, the focus began shifting towards South Korea. Um, the, well, the ring, ring was the same time. I, I yeah. think that's when we sort of, we went into our, you know, our old, like, uh, our friendly <laughs> long-haired Asian ghosts and everything, which, you know, horror films being cheaper to produce and less mm-hmm. risk really sort of took over. So you're right, it, it was not like a long phenomenon, but he might have squeezed one or two films more out of it, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think his career didn't really go well put it nicely i don't think it went uphill necessarily afterwards in other other stuff he's done after he went back which and i think a lot of even like the detective d films i mean they're they're pretty good films and stuff but mm. they do have that this weird mix of like bits of his old hong kong style very mainland friendly i'm gonna say Ooh. in a nice way yes but they still have that kind of like hollywood uh, but essentially like lazy spielberg Kind of feel to. It. I mean, Roger Ebert described him as like the Roger Corman of Asia, which is probably, 
I, I was quite surprised at that. That sounds a bit. That's, that's, that's kind of I feel that that's a very unfair. Yeah, I, yeah, right. Exactly. Not, it's, it's, it's a very right. it's it's a strange right. one to say. I, I I mean, calling him lazy Spielberg is after after two thousand is already a bit mean spirited. Because I, 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 I would argue, I would argue yeah. that we Go already have a lazy Spielberg. His name is J.J. Abrams. I mean, we don't yeah. need another lazy Spielberg. <laughs> oh, oh Jabrahams, Jaber, Mr. Lens Flare, everything. Yeah. Like someone, one day, someone's going to tell me to fix that camera. <laughs> oh, right. I don't. The lens doesn't oh, flare anymore. Yeah. My God, now what? <laughs> I agree. No, I agree with you. But I, I, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of, of his his later stuff. I don't mind the Detective D films. Um, yeah, I think stuff the strongest like, of the stuff he's done. This um, was it uh, missing. This kind of last decade or so. You know, apart Triangle, from this, Seven Swords. I wasn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tiger Mountain. I mean, the TV series, didn't it? If anything, yeah, like yeah, his yeah. output has increased since Time and Tide. He's produced. Like yeah. I know that mm. he's been going since the like the uh, late seventies, early eighties, but yeah. the output in, in in terms of the amount of productions he can get done has mm. kind of gone up exponentially. But again, yeah. it's one of those things where he's kind of read the writing on the wall. He knows what product he's making now, and yeah. he doesn't. He's. I'm not going to say he's come to terms with it, but he accepts the fact that that's this so is the product he's going to make. That's so depressing, though, because you're, you're the filmmaker. This is a guy who did you know, Zoo Warriors, you know, all this crazy stuff, and now. The main, you know, the sort of main kind of influence. Yeah. Kind of, there's no room for that creativity anymore. Yeah, there, I mean, he's no, doing like no things room. like uh, the taking of Tiger Mountain, which yes. is basically the Chinese army succeeded. Exactly. It's like oh, it's yeah. great. It's just, it's it's really a shame, and I think mm. even just commercially, you get to a level like him where he's, you know, go back to like 2000, like obviously one of Asia's biggest filmmakers. He's not, it's not that he's returning to Hong Kong in great triumph after the huge successes of. Knock off and double team, but you know he's you know, he's a really big name and stuff, and he's still making films which are relatively successful, even in the West, are getting released. People are back catalog is beyond compare and everything, and then you know Hong Kong cinema from two thousand starts to starts to die, kind mm-hmm. of. And we we get the few like the Infernal Affairs, which are great films, not so much the mainland version, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean though. It's when yeah, you see yeah. his later output, there's no way he's ever going to be able to go back to doing that stuff. This kind of like. Uh, the kind of wacky creative freedom to throw stuff in yeah. there chaotically, to bring in his man Marco Mack and just, yeah, yeah, let's just do this. Let's throw all this stuff in there, man. That, those days are just so gone. And his career, as, po- it's hard not to see 2000 and Time and Tide I not mean, as that the, kind of line in there the There is like a melancholic, like a sense of an elegy about that mm. film, almost. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with you. And that's, you know, for us old fellas talking about this nostalgia for it and, <laughs> and stuff. Ge- genuinely, what, watching it, and I watched it today just before this cast, it's fre- totally fresh in my mind. And it's, I, I'm not going to say sad because, you know, I, I get, I'm too manly to say that. Right? But it's, <laughs> it, there was like, a, no, no, there was that nostalgia for something. This kind of film will not be made again. Yeah. Mm. But oh. it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like um, I don't want to add to the depression. I don't want to add to the depression, but it kind of like it's it's not so much an indictment of the of the Hong Kong film industry now, but like yeah. the fact that one of the most successful Hong Kong filmmakers ever, yeah. like whatever you want to say about the content of his co- of his films, but he was the mm. most successful Hong Kong filmmaker. He yeah. if he can't find a way of doing self expression, then there's just no hope for any of them. It's, um, it's not even just a censorship thing; it's a commercial thing. Like if these films are, you, there's no point in making films in Hong Kong which can't be released in mainland China. You're yeah. not going to get funding for it. You're not going to get financing. You're not going to get a major release. 
Yeah, and it's I mean, just... it kind of. It, it, but contrast that to um, mm. the career of uh, Wong Kar Wai. I'm not. We're not going to go into Wong Kar Wai in great mm. detail, but he's the opposite end of the scale. He's like, yeah. I make avant-garde films. And I'm going mm. to keep making avant-garde films. And the great thing about me is people outside of Hong Kong are going to keep paying for my well, movies. That's the big yeah. difference, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. he's, you know, Cannes darling. When when he can deliver a film on time. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he doesn't even need to anymore because they know he'll do a different version of it like five years later. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I mean, he's, you know, doesn't he doesn't matter. have the kind of the 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 compactness yeah. and the kind of neurotic uh, nature of it. But he's basically become Hong Kong's version of Stanley Kubrick. He'll pump mm. out his opus film when yeah. he's damn well good and ready yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no absolutely and Choi Hark like whether it's this mixture of like commercial commercial reasons or artistic because you know he is a commercial director mm. the stuff he makes is you know we'll go back to the kind of Spielberg-y type stuff and he, he's making commercial like fantasy films right? yeah. Yeah, mo but, most of the yeah. time and there's no room for I know that, we man. were I know we were taking the, the piss out of him earlier on by calling him like Steven Spielberg but if you think about it, right, Spielberg has had almost an uh, an, an identical career to um, Chway. I mean, he mm. he started off big. He did all of these amazing blockbusters. He he had so much innovation built into his films that mm. he kind of got to the '90s and he hit this malaise where he was just like, "I'll just make anything I feel like." And the, the amount of, of time between his projects fans, stretched so I'm out. Not gonna, I'm not gonna jump into. No, that. no, I I, I I don't mean that. <laughs> I'm not, like, gonna, I'm not I, gonna jump into it too much, man. Yeah, but I was kind of like I, I was mean, talking uh, to a friend of mine on on Facebook, and I said yeah. Spielberg is kind of he's gone through his his genre list. He's I want to yeah. do a war film, I want to do a science fiction, film, and now he's getting to his musical. He's doing West Side Story. Yeah, so yeah. for me, Chue is kind of doing the same thing. He's working sure, his way okay. through his genre yeah, book. Yeah, 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 I mean, right. one thing about the man is he loves cinema. He loves Absolutely. every kind of cinema. Absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I completely, agree. yeah, okay, makes it even more sad. Yeah. Yeah, but kind of like yeah. okay, we're 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 kind of sad that he's hit the malaise of his career, but he's done literally everything you can think of in Hong Kong cinema. So at this stage, there, I mean, even if we didn't have the the the, the problem of yeah, we have the, the double component of censorship and also the fact that you can't make a film in Hong Kong anymore without a, a main mainland audience in mind. Yeah, yeah. At this stage, even if there hadn't have been those components, he would still be on looking down the cliff going down because he's done everything he could possibly do i mean the only thing i think he hasn't done yet is the big science fiction epic movie and that's like and after seeing some of the efforts yeah. in hong kong and china over the last couple of years oh yeah. i'm, I'm yeah, happy yeah, that he's, yeah. he's not touched that no 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 i mean i understand what you mean but at the same time like i uh, i think there, there's still either room for innovation or you know i would say spielberg's gone into he's prematurely aged and gone into his clint eastwood phase you, you know, <laughs> just doing that but hart could do that but he's not he's still churning out kind of like what should be like popcorn fare which to be honest yeah. like, audiences in china don't care about these are the kind of things which he's putting out films which are similar to stuff which is being made by some guy who's you know just graduated from beijing film academy no that's, yeah. that, that's yeah. the problem it's you know? yeah. strange because he's he's switching between those big blockbusters like ready player one or a musical and then doing stuff mm -hmm. like the post the post yes where, yeah, where yeah, he's yeah, just been sure. yeah. this kind of very hollywood liberal message films uh, frank capra yeah. kind of tom hanks and yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and, yeah for sure absolutely i'm more interested uh, in those you films can, you can imagine that that, that joy could be doing that and he could yeah yeah the guy's a great filmmaker he'd have the budget to be able to indulge yeah. these if 
there weren't other reasons why. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, yeah I mean, taking of Tiger Mountain, and he's doing another one, was it the Battle, the of, Battle Lake of Lake something? Something, yeah. I... Lake Jin. Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. But it, it's just, I don't know, I, I put it this way, I don't hold out. It's sad that now, mm-hmm. like, where I, if I see his name attached to a film, I don't necessarily think. I'm going to rush out and watch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Which is sad, but uh, I don't know. I think that's. I think it might be. It's a weird co-production that new one as well. I I did read about it a while back. I had no idea what its status <laughs> is, but um, it, I, nothing about it grabbed me. I I wouldn't worry. I mean, I I would assume the last like batch of his films will soon be in the buy two get one free and yesasia.com dot com. So you know. Okay. <laughs> the popcorn night, eight ninety nine type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's showing our age as well. Like, yes, Asia popcorn night, where you get one, you get one dreadful free film. Like, you know, usually a Korean film. You know, yeah, a Hong Kong version, a Hong Kong version of a Korean film. Sorry, whenever you get it, and you suddenly realize, wait, this is terrible. It doesn't have proper subtitles. <laughs> oh wait, now I know why it was free. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a shame. I, I would love to yeah. see Chai Hart come back to his stuff, but I don't... Post-2000, just... I'd say the same about many other Hong Kong directors. And Johnny Toe is probably the only one who still managed to really, you know, really still sort of balance the mainland with stuff. Mm. And I just... I mean, Chai Hart's... Even not, then, he's struggling. He's struggling. Mm, yeah. And I think the Detective D films have been... They were such big hits. And then the, the Young Detective D series and stuff. It's a shame that, you know, they didn't get good releases in the UK and stuff, but yeah. they were very popular across asia so i mm. given that you're not going to necessarily see him there's no reason like you said there's no reason for him to take risks now and mm. stuff even if he could get the budget for stuff <sighs> having said that we can all recommend that you do go out and uh, see time and tide definitely the last hurrah. yes definitely it's available definitely. now on uk blu-ray from yuri entertainment as mm. part of their Eureka Classics range. Mm. Now, I am not don't really want to get into this right now, but I'm not sure why Johnny Toe is seen as a master of cinema and Choi is just in the ah, classics. Ah, fair uh, point. Yes. But, well, you know, we might come on to a future podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Double Team and Knock Off are available on Blu-ray from 88 Films. Come on to Eason picks. I think James, you might have a few picks for us to chat over. I've got, I have quite a few, to be honest, which I will talk through efficiently. Everything, uh, as usual, like correct at time of recording today, next week, or whenever this gets released, might be different. <laughs> but on the Netflix, you know, I just checked out uh, the Girl and the Gun, which is by Ray Red, who's the cousin of Mikael Red, and uh, worked on most of his stuff. You know, yeah. some some one of the best, you know, Filipino filmmakers for sure, and. Mm. Uh, it's it's a strange one. I'm not, I can't say too much about it because it's it's pitched certainly on Netflix as being like a female revenge film about somebody who gets pushed too far, finds a gun, and goes off on a rampage. But it changes completely halfway through the film, mm-hmm. uh, in a very for me in a much more interesting way. And it's a really it's a really good film about kind of like the grim side of society in the Philippines. Uh, less than eighty minutes. That's all. Wow. <laughs> Even just for that, I should I could have said that at the start and given it five stars, but it's really good. It's a. I mean, Netflix has most of his films, and yes. she's worked on all of his films. But yeah. this is really worth checking out. It's not massively different from his stuff, but really would check that out. Malaysian film uh, Raw, 
like ROH, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, it's just been added, it's a, it's a horror one from Malaysia, which is quite rare, uh, apart from back in the old days of like Gong Tao films and stuff, but it's another horror one, it's more on the indie side, like creepy kids in the woods, it's like that, it's not quite uh, the kind of Indonesian folklore type stuff, it's a bit different to that, but uh, it was an entry for the Oscars from Malaysia, and again, less than 120, less than 1 hour 20. So there you go, 100% recommend it. It is a, it's a very good film. It's definitely worth checking. Taiwan Ghost Lab on Netflix. Um, it's by the guy who did a lot of the stuff on like the Phobia films. Uh, or Phobia, or wherever you, mm-hmm. however you pronounce it. Yeah, when we back when we thought Thai horror was going to be the next big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't watched it yet because it is it looks too long. <laughs> but the guy, he also worked on The Girl From Nowhere, which as I've said before, it's, it's like a couple of doctors who tried to do a scientific experiment to prove the existence of ghosts. A couple of sort of very nice, good-looking sort of boy-band-looking doctors, I would say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You also have the Carmelia Sisters from Vietnam, which is apparently weirdly part five in a hugely successful series, which uh, I'm not going to watch the one on Netflix because it's part five, and (laughs) I don't have access to the part four. It seems like another one, sort of like a luxury life, living in the palace, but having like a lot of troubles and dramas and secrets and stuff so it's it's not really my kind of thing anyway but and not necessarily my kind of thing also but for anime fans they've got the mobile suit gundam the first four films are landing uh in mid-june which i, I believe is kind of a big deal they're the ones from like the early 80s and stuff, yeah the film version so apparently that's i might actually it might be interesting to check out just because it is proper old school anime not old kind of like anime. flash of the panties anime so I might check that out, you know. Um, and we've got the Rurouni Kenshin films landing soon as well. Um, for the randomness of Amazon, again, adding right, a right. bunch of Korean stuff, like The Singer, just like, which is another one of these ones from 2020 or when they were doing that, all the Pansori stuff and oh, everything. Yeah. So another one of those, apparently quite good. I haven't seen it. Um, Snakes and Earrings, I found randomly, Japanese film. Uh, it, it's from a while back, like 2008, yeah. but it, it's based on like, a, I've only read the book, which is a very good book about kind of angst and a lot of very, very extreme body modification. <laughs> and it's kind of like that, that Japanese, at that period, they were still going through that kind of like post battle royale, very, very popular urban angst for disaffected youth and stuff. But there's a lot of split tongues and things to your, to your nethers shall we say (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a really but the book was incredibly it's a really good book it's very short and it's very very popular but it's it was kind of hailed as being because it was written by like a really really young uh author uh, and she was she did a great job with it i mean i've just read the translation but i can't i'm surprised it's adapted as a film i can't imagine it has everything still in it but i'm gonna watch that and then (laughs) Hysteric Betty, a new Japanese one. I didn't, I'm just going to read what it says on Amazon. Uh, girls, <laughs> on. exclamation mark. Idols, nudie models, <laughs> photographers, <laughs> jealousy and betrayal due to a desire for approval swept away, and the days go by unsuccessfully. <laughs> but it's good. No, it's just, I'm, I'm bringing this up because it's got like a really sleazy, gory cover and stuff. But then when I looked into it, and it's, it's a new film, it's a recent one. I read into it, and in other other places it's said to be like this is a film about female liberation and it's actually a proper film and stuff so we're we're new and it's nudie like spelled like n-u-d-i-e nudie model exclamation mark so i'm not sure if that it's a fair description or not but um uh, they they kind of had me at photographers exclamation mark so i'm gonna check i'm gonna check that out but 
<laughs> that kind of feels like um, in the same way that you know, Naked Weapon by Wong Jing is a secretly oh. a feminist film. Yes, but <laughs> Naked Weapon when there's no nakedness. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's just uh, I don't know. It's a shame. It, it is very false advertising. Which, on you know, in retrospect, seeing Wong Jing's name attached to something shouldn't really surprise you. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, is it Feder or Philip? If you've got any picture of your own, to yeah. Uh, Feder, you go first if you have anything. I don't, but I will tell you this. We mentioned earlier the rink. Mm. And I remember, so I just moved into a new house. And the people that lived here beforehand lived here for 49 years. I went into the attic. Went into the attic today and I found a child's mattress and a box of VHS tapes. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's proper. What's that? Have you, is, oh. is, there a, is there a video player? Oh, <laughs> not that I've seen. Not that I've seen yet. Oh my so, God, I'm trouble. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. So that's going to be worse than. That's going to be worse than some uh, long-haired. Dog, yeah, my God. Dark-haired <laughs> lady coming out of your uh, out of your oh, television my, screen. Yeah. That's, that could be. Andy, you be, yeah. don't need a video recorder. You just put the tape in the air, and the recorder and the TV will form around it. That's how this course works. <laughs> she, I do. I do feel sorry for poor old Sadako. I mean, she she kind of like set her stall out so early, and now she's a bit fucked with the internet and that and everything. The net, imagine her pitching to Netflix. You know. It's an absolute disaster. On uh, my side of things, um, I am just waiting for uh, an Amazon and the Yes Asia delivery. I know we were talking about Yes Asia, but I am waiting for a uh, Hong Kong Blu-ray version. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed at that. Because I I, I did hear that they were um, they were having trouble. They were not delivering to 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 the UK. That's right. Yeah, Mm. because they're mainly focused on Yes style. No, you know, that's. It's like we have a video store. Okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. Don't stop it. Just, wow. just keep it going. Just let me know when it's a problem. What, what did you order? I ordered uh, Bridget Lynn's uh, remastered version of her film from 1990, uh, Red Dust, which ah, okay. I just spotted in the listings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still get those newsletters from Yes Asia, and they literally know my 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 mo. They alert like, mm-hmm. "Hey Phil, there are here are three mainland Chinese films you are never going to watch, <laughs> and the three lo- lower ones are this was all made before 2000." Go ahead and enjoy. So that's how I found out about Red Dust. And I am waiting for, I believe it is Film Movement who are releasing it in the United States. I am just waiting Never for my... Um, I'm just waiting for them to re- uh, to send me a copy of Center Stage with Maggie Kyung. Classic. Um, which, which is uh, done by our friend B.D. Chang's Yes, company. that's true. Yes. I imagine Rita Vita Asia. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't oh. even trying to pronounce it, but yeah. yeah. We're going to yeah. have to get better at that for the next podcast. <laughs> that's very true. Yes, we will have to nail At least not insult it by saying it terrible. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's all I'm waiting for at the moment. Um, I'm just waiting for them to ship out. I'm, I am looking forward to seeing both of them because, uh, because of the retrospective on Bridget Lynn that we were doing earlier in the year, I kind mm. of, it's not I remembered Bridget Lynn. I just completely forgot that she, that that she had just this massive career, and there yeah. are so many films that never got an English language release either in uh, Hong Kong with English subtitles or mm. anywhere else in the world that had English subtitles. So I'm taking yeah. the opportunity now that I have it. Just to watch it to see what it was like. I, I've never seen Red Dust. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
that's it for now. Thanks to Philip for joining us. Thank you, guys. And thanks for Feather for making his debut on the program. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure, our pleasure. <laughs> Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. But for now, it's only time today. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Here's to you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.